Please open in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 14. We are continuing our Sunday evening series in the book of Romans. It's been a great joy to uh, have the privilege to preach through much of it. And uh, as we've seen already, the first 11 chapters are just deep and wonderful uh, passages of, of, uh, of the great eternal truths of our God and his work amongst us, and those are passages that we cherish and marvel at. And But beginning in chapter 12, we've begun to see that there's been a, a shift now. The Apostle Paul is turning to from theologian Paul, in a sense, to Pastor Paul. And he is speaking to the church in Rome, and, he's, and God is speaking to us about the, the practical outworking, the implications of the gospel, how we are to, to live. And so we pick up in Romans chapter 14, and the, the passage begins to examine not just how we are to uh, interact with the, the world around us, but in particular how we interact with one another when there are disagreements. And so that's what our passage is going to consider and and teach us about tonight. And my prayer for all of us this evening is that we would have a heart that is receptive to God's Word, to be ones who are willing to examine our own hearts before the Lord as we consider how we love one another in the church. So with that, let's take a moment to read and Hear from God's holy word from Romans chapter 14. We'll read the first 12 verses. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die... We die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
Thus far the reading of God's word, would you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would help us to see more clearly the payment that you have made so that we would belong to you. And help us to see that this is true of all of those whom you've called to yourself in Christ Jesus. And so I pray by your spirit you would help us to be a congregation that loves one another well. Would you sanctify us towards this end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how many of you pay attention to all the internet controversies that take place within Christian circles, the Reformed internet, as it were? But a a couple of weeks ago, there was a a controversy that that erupted or ignited following a tweet from uh, the famous or well-known pastor John Piper. He made a tweet about asking the question, really, about whether or not it is okay to bring coffee into a worship service. I've not really followed this question or this tweet or so on, but I'm not actually interested in the tweet. I don't follow him. I don't um, really spend time thinking about what he thinks about a Christian drinking coffee in a worship service. But what was interesting to me was not so much the, the, the post made by uh, John Piper. It was the reaction. It's not really the subject. It was the debate. It was the, the silly memes and, and people mocking others. How online there were these sort of lines drawn and saying, you're either in the coffee camp or you're out of the coffee camp, and if you're not in my camp, then you're an idiot and you clearly don't understand the gospel. At least that was the tenor of much of the discussion online. It was amazing. Really amazing to see the disdain that would come out towards those who disagreed on an issue that really does not matter. It's so silly, some of the things that we can get angry about, isn't it? You ever been angry about something that is silly or unimportant? Um, I'm sure many of you have not. Because it's so silly, isn't it? To look down our noses at somebody else, another believer in Christ over a situation such as this. And you might think, oh, if I only lived in the days before the internet, when everybody just gives out their unfiltered opinions no matter what, life would be so much more peaceful. Life would be less silly. But actually, as we look at this passage tonight, we see that this issue is not a new one. Now, Paul's not talking about coffee here. But he is addressing the issue of how Christians within the church relate to one another over non-essential matters. And that's what we're going to consider tonight. How are we to relate to one another within the church over non-essential matters? Let's first consider the situation that, that, that brings out this, uh, this, this exhortation 
from the Apostle Paul. Here Paul is addressing these differences that exist between believers. He talks about those who are weak and he says, I I want you to welcome the weak. And when he's talking about the weak here, he qualifies it. He says, welcome the weak in faith. He's talking, you see, not about uh, those who are weak-minded necessarily or uh, unable to lift heavy weights or things like that. But he's saying people who are in faith and yet are weak. So other weak Christians, he's saying, welcome them. And so I don't want you to look at this passage and leave tonight and say, well, here we're talking about how we are to, how the church is to relate with the world. Uh, or how a Christian is to relate with a non-Christian. Paul is not telling us here, the Bible is not telling us here, simply to welcome into our fellowship those who reject Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't believe in Him, you are welcome to come and be here. I'm glad that you're here this evening. However, I want you to know that your only hope in this life and the life to come is... Jesus Christ. It's in Him alone that you will find salvation. And it is in Him alone that you find yourself adopted into the family of God. And because of this, you you may not be a Christian. You can come and you worship and we want you to learn and know more of God. And we want you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But we won't welcome you as a member into our church. Or as we'll see later to the Lord's table until you've Come to Christ in faith. And so this is not talking about those who are not believers and believers. Furthermore, this is not a passage that is addressing essential differences. For example, Paul is not saying that the weak and the strong here in this passage disagree over how Christ saves sinners. He's not talking to people who disagree over the nature of the Trinity or something like that. Now, he's been very clear throughout the, the book of Romans exactly how God saves sinners. Who God is. Who the Son of God is. What He has come to do. How He does it. And that He is the only hope. For salvation. He is the only hope for life. He is the only hope for knowing God. Paul has been very clear that we need to get the essential things right, and that if you don't, then you are utterly lost. You are utterly lost. What are the differences here then in chapter 14? Well, they're non essential differences. And we'll get to these in a moment, but I, I want to ask another question before we do. You may wonder, well, what does he mean here when he talks about the strong in faith and the weak in faith? Well, again, we're talking about both are believers in this case. Paul's not talking about uh, the weak in faith. He's not saying that the weak person is someone who has, let's say, an inadequate faith in Jesus Christ. 
What he's saying is that the, the weak in faith are those who lack insight. They lack something that the strong have. And it's an insight or a wisdom as to the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ working out in their lives. Verse 2 lays out the issue for us. It says, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. You say, well... This is kind of an odd thing to be fighting over. But, again, we're going to see this in a moment, but there's an issue that there are some in the church in Rome who are unable at this point to accept the reality that their faith in Christ frees them from certain Old Testament requirements of godly living such as the commandments to eat, uh, forbidding the eating of certain foods. Okay, so that's the issue here. The, the weak in faith are not weak people. They are not weak-minded, and they are not feeble. And actually, it's, they're very, they have a conscience that's very strong. It's because of a strong conscience that they only eat vegetables, that they don't eat meat. So what's the difference between the strong and the weak here? Now the weak may have a strong conscience, but the strong here have a more fully grasped and have, have had it work in their hearts on a greater scale the implications of the gospel in their lives. So they know a crisis freed me. I can, I can eat meat. I can eat anything. God has declared all foods to be clean. It's okay. But some are not there yet. Paul's concern is not to say, okay, let's just, let's just you know, jump in the deep end in the next church potluck. We're going to do a meat-only meal. No vegetables allowed until everybody gets it. Now, Paul's concern here is, is not some sort of therapy like that, but it's, he's concerned about the unity within the church. That's his great concern. It's not over the, the diet that they are eating. It's about their unity. The unity within the body of believers who all of them have been saved into the church by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a concern because division does take place in the church. Division happens in the church over matters that ultimately are small and really can be overlooked, forgiven, or overcome. And so in the Roman church here, we have Christians who are strong in faith and and weak in faith, and apparently there is some significant disagreement arising within the body over these issues. Issues about how they would or wouldn't eat, or what they would or wouldn't eat, or how they would observe certain days. And others said, well, they're all the same. We don't have to observe those days anymore. And I think if you dig a little bit, and you start to remember who this letter is being written to, I think what we're seeing here is there's a tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in the Roman church. 
And because of this, there are likely uh, differences of practice among these two groups who are in Rome, and they've formed these sort of competing sides, these competing groups against one another. There are Christians, they're, they're really Christians, yet who are unwilling to eat meat. We see the issue come up again in, in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about eat, uh, meat being offered to idols. And, and Paul says it's fine if you eat meat offered to idols. An idol is really nothing. But if it's going to cause my brother to stumble, then I'm not going to eat meat. It's more important to the Apostle Paul and it's more important to our Lord that we seek out unity within the church than to emphasize disagreements that ultimately don't matter. It could be another issue that the Jewish Christians were experiencing. It could be that there was simply a lack of kosher meat in Rome. For various political reasons, there very well may have been a lack of meat that would have been considered acceptably prepared for the Jewish people. But either way, and whatever the issues exactly are, it's not exactly clear here in these verses, but it could be something and likely something along those lines. Whatever whatever it is, it's causing this disagreement within the church. And then there are issues of the special days of the year. There are days in the Jewish calendar that were certainly considered more important than other days. And if you think back of what it might have been like to have been a a Jewish person converted out of Judaism into Christianity in the first century, you begin to see how such things as the Mosaic calendar is so ingrained in their minds of this is... This is the pattern, this is the rhythm of faithful living. The way that you live your life from birth, it's going to be ingrained in you. I was trying to think, and I I want you to come to a place of sympathy towards the weak here. I don't know that there are many here who have problems with things like barbecue or or steak or whatever. You may say, I don't understand. But my family and I, we've, we've lived in different cultures. We lived overseas for a while And sometimes you can know things on paper. You can know things about other societies, about how they do things differently. But until you're there, you don't really realize how different the way of living is than what you are used to. And one uh, simple example is uh, growing up in the U.S., like many of you, you always celebrated Thanksgiving the fourth Thursday of November. It's just what you do don't have school you don't have work somehow a turkey appears you just assume your mom's always on top of it and there's a turkey on the table well i don't know if you know this if you've only lived in america but the rest of the world doesn't celebrate thanksgiving and nobody else gives you the day off you still have to work and you have trouble finding turkey And nobody understands why you're taking the day off because they've still got to work and they're busy with their lives. The rest of society keeps going. And we, and our family, we would take that day off. Even though we didn't live in America anymore, we'd take that day off and we'd cook a Thanksgiving meal and we'd celebrate while the rest of society keeps keeps going. I'll just tell you that because we, we have these patterns of living 
Uh, We have these expectations ingrained in us from just the way we live, from how we're raised and what we get used to doing. And those things, they continue in our lives even after we're converted to Christ. When we're converted to Christ, the Bible tells us we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And that's absolutely true. You're a new person. You're not the same that you used to be. You can testify to this. And yet, there's still patterns of life that you carry on. And so I want you to have a sense of the pull. That those who are in Rome, who are coming out of the Jewish religion, are feeling that even though they, they do grasp the gospel, they've come to Jesus Christ in faith. They've clung to Him. They trust in Him alone for their salvation and righteousness before God. They believe. But they still need help to work through these issues. To know that they're no longer bound by these Old Testament laws. The gospel does enable us to do that. These issues, these impediments to our own personal sanctification, the gospel enables us to overcome them. Even Romans 1.16 starts out with this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You can see that there is this element of the gospel that is saying... The gospel is going to bring together societies that otherwise do not belong to each other. And there's going to be all sorts of practices and all sorts of uh, ideas and thoughts and ways of doing things that just don't correspond. And God says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you together and make you a new and unified people. I'm going to make you my people. And so it is by the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are able to look at one another Not as, oh, isn't it interesting that the Thomases do that? That's so weird. But to look at them and say, that's my brother. That's my sister in the Lord. They're sinners who were saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Everyone who's in Christ. There's no exception. There are none among God's people who is more deserving of God's Love than another. And so, Paul is raising this issue, saying you're fighting over these things, this disagreement. And you shouldn't. The the gospel is a unifying thing, not a dividing thing. And so that's the situation here. And so you may say, okay, well, I know this is true. We've seen this is true throughout uh, the book of Romans. But what's the problem? Why is there a problem here? What is the problem in this situation? Well, look what's happening in the church in Rome. Look at verse 3. There's a warning here. It says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And then in verse 10, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? See this language, do not despise, do not judge, or or do not condemn your brother. Your brother is in Christ. And these are the dangers 
that are being addressed here. It's not really about meat. It's about the heart of the believer that has the capacity to despise the ones whom God has loved and to condemn those whom God has declared righteous in Jesus Christ. You are more capable of that than you might be willing to admit. And that's why God has given us these passages for his glory and for our sanctification. You can almost hear it, can't you? I mean, it's just ridiculous that you won't eat meat. There's nothing wrong with it. Jesus declared all, all things clean. Are, are you dumb? Don't you understand what Jesus has done for you? And you might have the other Christian who sees, sees the ones eating meat and saying, Listen, that's not kosher. You are sinning. Again, every Jewish Christian in this time would have been brought up on these Old Testament dietary laws, observing uh, certain days. And these, for them, were acts of obedience and faith, and it was deeply ingrained in them. But it goes both ways. Do not despise and do not condemn. Now these, when it speaks of the days, these days that the old Jewish people would observe, He's not talking about the Lord's Day here. He's not talking about the Lord's Day the, uh, in verses 5 and 6. The, the one and seven Sabbath day that was instituted in creation before the fall still stands. It was, it, it's a part of the Ten Commandments. Pastor Barclay preached on that not uh, just a couple of weeks ago on the Fourth Commandment. It's the moral law of God to observe one day in seven And it continues to be upheld as a command in the New Testament. So that's not what Paul is speaking of here. He's speaking of the general calendar of Jewish festivals, of instituted days of fasting, and so on. He's saying all those things are now insignificant. They've been abrogated with the passing away of the ceremonial institution. Jesus has fulfilled that. And so the one who may be observing these instituted days of fasting, sees another person in the church eating meat on those days, and he, he might say, you're, you're sinning. Who are you to do that? And Paul is saying we, we cannot condemn one another. And whether you see yourself on the strong side or the weak side here, whichever camp you're in, he says you, you're not allowed to despise or condemn your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you step back from it, it, it can just seem so silly. The, the issues that cause fractures in a church amongst the people of God. I want to ask you, what do you think about when you think about each other? What comes to mind when you think about Certain people who are in this church, in particular when there are areas in which you differ with one another. Do you look down on them? Maybe just in your mind. Maybe you would never say anything, but every time you think of them, I can't believe them. 
And we may not have the same issues as they do in, in the church in Rome in the first century, but you are very capable of reacting to the people in your pew the same way that the people in the church in Rome are reacting towards one another. And Paul is saying, that must stop. That must come to an end. It is your duty to love those whom God loves. The grace of God demands that of you. To see one another as sons and daughters of God. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul says in verse 1 that we are to welcome all those whom Jesus has welcomed. And not to quarrel over opinions. So what do we do? That's the problem. But what do we do about this problem? Well, when there are divisions that are bubbling up within the church The action we need to take against such divisions requires a firm grasp and application of the gospel in your own life, in your own heart. Again, Paul says in verse 1, welcome the weak. He says, if you are strong in the faith, you know more about the work of Christ in your life. And so then he says in verse 3, let not the one who eats despises the one who abstains. He asks the question in verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Remember who you are. Remember who God is. That God is God and you are not. And you never will be. Who are you to despise anyone whom Christ has welcomed? It is possible to pull up a chapter and verse on any theological subject and give a lecture about it on the spot. And yet, not love your brother in Christ. And Paul's concern, and Paul is saying, you are acting as if you are the master over your brother in Christ. But you are not your brother's master. It is God who has purchased them with the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, never think of yourself in the way of, I get to judge them, condemn them, despise them. No other Christian is your servant. When you condemn another believer, you fail to see that Jesus died for them just as he did for you. Verse 4 says that the Lord is able to make him stand. The one whom you condemn, the Lord is able to stand. You may cut them down. But on the day of judgment, Jesus will hold them up. Verses 5-9 through tell us that we are each individually to be fully convinced in our own minds of the issues before us. And in doing so, we need to honor the consciences of our brothers and sisters who might disagree. But out of their conscience, though we may disagree, they're still seeking to honor the Lord. Look at verse 6. It says, The one who observes the day observes it and honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats and honor the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
You see, he's saying it's possible for you not to fully grasp the implications of the gospel in your life. You haven't fully worked it out and come to the same conclusions and even right conclusions that maybe you have, and yet they still are honoring the Lord. Paul is saying it is for the very reason of honoring the Lord that they have these convictions. It is out of their devotion to Christ. And that's why they're not eating meat. That's why they're observing certain days. And it may absolutely be true, these are unnecessary things. And yet for them and their conscience, at this time, they feel they must do it for the Lord. We have to understand that you may be theologically correct and still fail to honor the Lord in your behavior. You can be theologically correct, theologically right, and yet behave wrongly. That's what Paul is telling us to be careful about. You need to recognize your brother, recognize your sister in Christ, and love them well. You need to resist the temptation to put yourself in God's place as as the judge of those who sit next to you in the pew. Verse 10 tells us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And in verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That includes giving an account to God for how we think of one another. How well we love one another. Matthew 25, Jesus says this. He says, truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you hear that warning? That to despise a brother in the Lord, Jesus says, is to despise me. The one who died for the weak. Romans 5 tells us that while it is for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died For the ungodly. We all need to remember that we at one time were weak. And needed the one who is strong to make himself weak. And to die. So that we can be brought near to God. And so that he can sanctify us. And he will sanctify us. But as we're being sanctified. As we are growing in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. The way we view one another has to have a gospel shape about it. These are my brothers and sisters whom God has loved, and I welcome them. Christ went to the cross so that you may, might be made acceptable to God. If there's anything in your life that hinders you from welcoming those whom God has welcomed in Christ, then you need to take that arrogance that you have to the cross. And let that die in order that you may be able to welcome your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to see and know the full implications of the gospel. But as we do, as we grow in our faith and understanding, help us to to love one another well. To welcome those whom you have welcomed. Oh Lord, I pray that you help us to see 
Christ our Savior, who has loved us even when we are weak, to draw us near, to make us sons and daughters of the living God. We praise you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.